Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things on the earth.
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through Him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I don't know if you're like me, but I really enjoy those shows that have an element of makeover to them. So it could be any number of things. So, for instance, um, there was a, a show uh, by Exhibit that was on MTV. He was a rapper. And it was a show that was called Pimp My Ride. Now, I'm not even sure what all that means, but what it would do is it take this this car that really was a junker, uh, um, something that wasn't worth really driving, and then they would totally what, what, trick it out. So they would put all sorts of new stereo system in it, they would do all sorts of body work in it, they would have, so if the person really liked uh, fishing, let's say they really liked fishing, they would go and they would open the, the, um, uh, the boot, what we call the trunk, I almost said trunk, but the boot, uh, and they would open it up and inside there there would be like um, a, a holder for fish that you could have caught and put in there. And there would have been like little places to put retractable fishing poles and they would have bought them new fishing poles. And the person would be like, yes, this is awesome. But then they would have to drive around with a thing that would smell like fish all the time. You know, not thinking of the ramifications of this new car that they got, which was actually their old car, but something was new. And then there was a show that would also do that with houses. So there was a house that maybe was too small for the family and it was always somebody that was, you know, worthy of having it made over. 
again. It couldn't be just somebody down the street that they go, that looks like a good house, let's do that. And they go and meet the guy and are like, man, they're kind of a creep, but that's the house we chose. It was always somebody that was worthy of having it done. And they would go in and they would put it, you know, expand it and they would give them all new furniture and, all, and they would walk in and they wouldn't know what it would look like and they'd be like, yes, this is perfect. This is exactly the house we would build, at least as they were walking through it. And then later they would figure out, oh, maybe I'd have done this differently because we're all kind of that way, right? We get something and we're like, yes, this is perfect. No, no, it's not. Then it kind of transitioned to people where there would be somebody that needed to have an extreme makeover as a person. Now, part of this is hard because it was somebody that maybe was overweight or it was somebody that had uh, some facial deformity or something, and they would go in and they would help them be brand new, right? They, they would make them look great or they would make them lose weight. Now, the ones that kind of always made me nervous were the ones that were about weight loss. And that was probably because I myself had gone up and down a little bit on weight things, and so I would watch them, and they would have this trainer that was with them for days and days and days, and they would change their diet, and they would do all sorts of things externally to them. And there would be this person that would be like, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And then they would get to their goal weight, and they would come out, and they'd have new clothes and a new haircut, and everybody like, you're a new person, you're a new person. And what I was fearful of, and I do think this happened often, more often than not, is that Six months down the road, a year down the road, they'd fallen back into the old habits, and they'd started eating chips all day long, and they had started going less to the gym and more to the couch and watching TV, and so all of a sudden, all this hard work that externally was given to them has now sort of ceased, and they've fallen back into internally what's driven them. The same ha happens to guys that win lottos. Is they were maybe not great with money beforehand, and they win the lottery, and they get some money, and then all of a sudden they think, well, I can live forever on this money. And then within a year and a half, it's all gone. Why? Because something externally changed, but something internally didn't change. They still had the old habits. They still had their old desires. They still had their old things. As a matter of fact, the only way that our old habits, our old things, our old thought processes can change is if we die. That's the only way they'll really change is if we die. And that's what Paul is talking about here. So we're starting a series over the next four weeks called Resurrection Life. And we're going to look at what we celebrated last week and how it impacts us today. What does this resurrection life look like? Where does it move it to? How does it empower us to live today? And what we learn today is that resurrection gives us all brand new lives. That we don't have to go back to the old ways, that we don't fall back into the old ways, because in Christ, for those of us who are there, we are dead, but now we have a brand new life. We are completely different. That's what Paul says here in this passage as we look at Colossians 3. He says right at the very beginning, if then you have been raised with Christ. That means you were dead with Christ. He, he says that just a little bit later in verse 3. For you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ who is raised. And so he gives us sort of this indication of who our true life and our true reality is. That we, in fact, have 
died, those of us who are in Christ have died, and now we are alive in his resurrection. That means our old life is gone. You can't pick up your old life. You only do that if you want to be a horror movie. You only do that if you're a zombie. What we're saying is that's gone, and we are now alive in our new life. And he wants to be practical for us. And so he sets it out for us. Now again, here we go. Every time we come to a list in Scripture, what is our heart's desire when we see a list? Our heart's desire is to what? Make it a checklist, right? To go, yep, did that, do that, keep away from that. That's what I'm doing, right? And we get in our minds, if I can only do these and I can't do these, then I'll be good. That's not the reason why lists are in the Bible for us. Lists are in the Bible for us to guide us, to bring us to an understanding of those things that are no longer part of who we are or those things that are a part of who we are. Now, they are things that we should do and things that we shouldn't do. That's definitely there and hold within that. But it is more than just a checklist for us to go, yes, in my own strength, I'm able to do this. So as we read these lists, remember in your mind, in your heart, tell yourself, this is not about me accomplishing these things. Remember, I'm dead, and now I have a new life. So he says, here's all the things that were part of your past. You need to put to death these earthly things. And he lists them out, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. On these accounts, the wrath of God is coming. You once walked in these. Now anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off your old self. Now our desire, again, remember, is to go, I don't think I do many of those. Maybe I only do two or three. So I'm okay, I think. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, Put to death these things. Why? Because in Christ, you're dead. But now you're alive with a brand new life. And then he goes on to say, what you do need to do is put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one another has a complaint, forgive as you have been forgiven. Above all else, put on love. And we look at that and we go, remember our hearts go, I've got about three of those. So if I do three over here and three over here, I'm even, balanced, good. It's all sorted. But what Paul is saying is, no. This is the way you used to live. You're now dead to that. So yes, you used to like to eat all day long, but now you don't. Yes, you used to be a person who didn't understand money, and just because you got money didn't change that. You now are somebody who can, because you are different. Now, I think what eases us sometimes in this is we look at it and we think to ourselves that perhaps Paul is being aspirational for us. That when he's saying these things about being dead but now alive and that we put off these old things and we move to these new things, that he is talking about the possibility of it happening. Right? That at your best, do as much as you can to do this. But that's not the words here. What the words are saying to us, what Paul is saying to us, is that this is not aspirational or possible. That this is reality. <laughs> that this is what your life is is 
You just might not be seeing it. That this is, in fact, the reality that you walk in. Why? Because it's not you walking. You're dead. And now you have a new life that is in Christ alone. It really reminds me, because we get nervous about this, and we think that there's all these things that we need to do to accomplish these things, and so we have to sort of shift it and make it a possibility as opposed to a reality. Because we look at our own hearts and our own lives, and we go, well, when I see this, I recognize that I don't do these things, and I do these things. And I don't want to do these things, but these things I keep on doing. And we're like, it's hardly, it's hard, Pastor, to do this. So clearly, it's just a possibility. It's not a reality. And I think sometimes that happens because we're thinking externally as opposed to internally. It's really easy for us to change things externally. But it's harder to have our internal heart be transformed and allow it to be transformed. That word there that Paul uses, he says uh, flesh. He talks about our flesh a lot. And he sort of sets out this, there's, you're born of the spirit, you're not born of the flesh, he talks about in Romans. And when we look at these things, he says, these are the earthly things, and what you need to do is think of the heavenly things. And in our minds, we can sometimes determine that earthly things are only the external things, like our flesh, that we can touch and feel. And then the spiritual things are all those things that are, are those heaven things are all spiritual things. They're sort of out there somewhere. <laughs> the reality of what Paul is speaking of is not necessarily tangible when he talks about flesh. When he talks about the earthly things. What he's really speaking to us about is our small self. Our ego that wants to usurp or step ahead of what God is doing. I, I want to read you a little quote about what that is. Thomas Merton speaks of it this way. He says, Our ego, that small self, is the thing that wants to define itself apart from the Spirit, apart from God. It's the tiny self that you think you are, who takes yourself way too seriously. And you are always needy and always wanting something else. It's the self that is characterized by scarcity or fragility. The small self doesn't necessarily tell you who you are. So when we think about that small self, that place that we want to set on the throne of God, it's the thing that wants to live only to ourselves. And you go back and you look at the earthly things that, that Paul is talking about here, we can recognize in this little list that what he's speaking of is all the things that lift us higher than everybody else. When we think about impurity and passions and evil desires and sexual immorality or covetousness, those are places where our small self says, you deserve that. You deserve the pleasure that comes from that. You deserve the things that everybody else has, that you should have yourself. And then when he speaks of anger and malice, and he speaks of slander and obscene talk, 
and lying to others. It's all about self-preservation and all about building your own heart and your own will and your own desires up higher and higher and higher. Here's the good news. But Paul says, if you're in Christ, you're dead to all that. Not someday you might be dead to it. Every once in a while you're dead to it. You're dead to it. And these are the things that you're alive to in brand new life. And if you notice those things as holy and beloved ones, it's compassionate hearts, it's kindness, it's humility, it's meekness, it's patience, it's bearing with one another, it's forgiving one another, it is bound together in love. It is all the things that remove us from our small self, our little ego that's so powerful that says, you deserve, and says, look at the delight of all that God has done. Look at the delight of all those that are around me. Look at the delight that God has in his pursuit of love for those and for me. And that God created me for them and then for me. Not just to do my bidding, but to be about his work and what he has called them to do. And that's the reason why he says, you were made for peace. Why? Because he recognizes that it's only people that have died to the hostility of the world, the thing that separates us and moves us to peace in our new life, that we're able to step into that. In the series, The Chronicles of Narnia, there's a character named Eustace. Eustace has become one of my favorite characters, partly because... He reminds me, sadly, of me too often. I, I want to read you a few just summaries about who Eustace is. He's this boy that sort of had a heart that was towards himself. And at one point in the series, he goes and he lays down on some dead dragon. And that dragon's heart of selfishness transforms him into a very dragon himself. But in the voyage of the Dawn Treader, he experiences something that he comes encounter with. Aslan, the lion. And it says this, I looked up and I saw the very last thing I expected. A huge lion coming slowly towards me. And it came nearer and nearer to me. And I was terribly afraid of it. And you may think that, being a dragon, I could have knocked any lion out easily enough. But it wasn't that kind of fear. I wasn't afraid that it would eat me. I was just afraid of it, if you can understand. Well, it came closer to me, and it looked straight into my eyes, and I shut my eyes tight, but that wasn't any good because it told me to follow it. But the lion told me I must undress first. And I was just about to say that I couldn't undress because I hadn't any clothes on when I suddenly thought that dragons are snaky sort of things, and snakes can cast off their skins. And I thought, oh, of course, the lion, that's what the lion means. So I started scratching myself and my scales and began coming off all over the place. And then I scratched a little deeper, and instead of just the scales coming off here and there, my whole skin started to peel off beautifully, like it does after an illness or as if I were a banana. And in a minute or two, I just stepped out of it, and I could see it lying there beside me. 
looking rather nasty. And it was the most lovely feeling. So I started to go down into the well and have a bath. But just as I was going to put my feet into the water, I looked down and I saw that they were all hard and rough and wrinkled and scaly, just as they had been before. Oh, that's all right, I said to myself. It only means that I had another smaller suit underneath the first one. And, and so I'll have to get it out, and I'll have to get out of it. So I scratched and I tore again, and this underskin peeled off beautifully, and out I stepped and left it lying beside the other one and went down to the well for my bath. Well, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, oh dear, however many skins have I got to take off? For I was longing for the ba to bathe my leg. So I scratched away from the third time and got the third skin off, just as the two other ones, and I stepped out of it. But as soon as I looked at myself in the water, I knew it had been no good. I think that many of us, we read these passages of Scripture, we hear this thing in our head about new life, that we're dead and now we're alive in something else, and we think, i got to scratch, i got to get this thing off, i got to get as deep as I possibly can to get this done. I want to step into humility, but I seem to only step into pride. I, I really want to step into mercy, but I seem to only step into my own desire for what I want. I want to step into compassion, but I really step into my own righteousness and that I am right. And I just got to get it scratched off. There, there must be some Bible study that I can do, or there must be some 12-step course that I can take, or there must be something that can relieve me from this pain. Catch what Paul says again. If you have then been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will also look like him. Listen, the beauty of this is that we're not alone in this. Okay? The beauty is that in our desire to get right, we're not alone in that. And God knows that. And what he does is he gathers us together. And he says, no matter where you're at on this journey, no matter how you're looking for me, if you are looking for me, I will rush to you. But I won't just come to you alone. I will take you and I will put you with another group of people. I will put you with folks who will help you live this life that you really have, that is true and it exists. That it's not a possibility. It's not something that might happen. It's something that has happened. It is complete. We know that because Paul says here that we should, what? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing who? One another. In all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart. Look, he tells us that we're not alone in this, that we're not just set there in this movement from death to life. Brand new life that we are with others that he has moved from death into life. And we are called then to sing to one another. We are called to encourage one another. We are called to lift each other up. And we're called to do that through the words of Christ. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. But maybe that doesn't seem like enough. 
It probably doesn't. And that's the reason why we like C.S. Lewis, because he doesn't leave Eustace there either, just as Christ didn't leave us where we were at. Listen to what happens. Then the lion said, but I don't know if he spoke. You'll have to let me undress you. And I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now, so I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. And the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought he had gone right into my heart. And when he began to pull the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I had ever felt in my life. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked a scab on a sore place, it hurts, but it's such fun to see it come away. Edmund, who's there with him, says, I know exactly what you mean. Eustace goes on and says, well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. And just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was laying on the grass. Only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others had been. And there was I, smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I'd been. And then he caught hold of me. <laughs> I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. And threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. And that, and after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arms. And then I saw why. I'd turned into a boy again. You see, the thing that happens when we move from death into life is that God takes all of what we think are the things that would keep us away from Him. All the things that we think, I've got to peel this off before I ever see God. And He says, no, that's my job. <laughs> that's what I have already done. I've peeled it off of you. I've made you brand new. And even more so, I've made you who you always were. See, here's the thing. We get so twisted in our minds. We get so disturbed in our hearts to think that we're the evil person. That we're the bad person. That we're the one who can't accomplish righteousness. And so we have to create fake righteousness in order to do it. But the reality is, is that God knows exactly who you are. So listen, if you are sitting there and you think to yourself, there is no way I could ever be saved. There is no way that this God of love that this pastor keeps talking about could ever be pursuing me. Let me just say, you're pretty arrogant to think <laughs> that you're the only one that he doesn't want. And if you're there and you think that because you've done all the good things, that's why God loves you, stop. <laughs> They're just scales of the dragon on you. 
Let him remove them. Let him take them off. Now here's the promise for us. And in two weeks you'll hear even more about it. We have this new life. And yes, we see through a a glass dimly. We don't actually, and we can't actually tell everything that's going on. (laughs) It, it, It would... It would be too much for us, really. So it's grace and safety that we don't see all these things. But we know beyond a shadow of a doubt, those of us who are in Christ, that we have new life. Not the potential. It is such. And that new life causes us to step into over and over again. Why? Because Christ has done it. Because the Lord has cleaned us. Because we are who we were intended to be, His children. So step in, grab hold. New life is yours. It is here today. Let me pray for us. Father, you are good to us. You hold on to us. We pray that these words are your words and that if they're not, that they will burn up, that they will blow away, but if they are your words, that they will take root in our heart and bring you glory and honor and bear good fruit for you. It's in your precious name we pray, Jesus, who makes all this possible. Amen. We'll now respond by reading from the Heidelberg Catechism, question 46. I ask, what do you mean by saying he ascended into heaven? We all say together that Christ, while his disciples watched, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Would you please stand as we sing and prepare for the Lord's Supper? Before the throne of God above I have a strong, a perfect plea, a 